I uh, just want to invite Steph to come up and give us our scripture reading this morning. Good morning. Hey, today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 13. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very, in a very little... In, in very little, is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Thanks, Steph. So today we have a special guest speaker here to share God's word with us. It's my good friend, Jeremy. We uh, used to work together. We used to live together. We were roommates for several years. Um, He's a great guy. I'm really excited to hear him come and share God's word with us. He is going to be continuing our Lent series, looking at parables of Jesus in the book of Luke. Maybe you can come up and we can pray for you. Yeah, Father, we pray for Jeremy as he shares your word with us today, that you would speak through him powerfully and clearly, that you would transform us through what he says into people who love you more and trust you more and obey you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello. Good to be with you. I always feel uh, relatively tall in Hong Kong until I stand next to Eric and I'm prayed by him. Always reminds me how tall he is. I, I forget, you know, can you see him from afar? He's like, okay, he's lanky. He's all right. You're right next to him. You're like, wow. Anyway, sorry. I digress there. Um, it's great to be with you guys. My name is Jeremy, as he said. And f- as I'm as a staff on Watermark Church, you know, we've just had such a longstanding sort of relationship with you guys. And it's just so good to see um, that the church in Hong Kong is, is really, we're, we're part of one church, and we're all worshiping in different ways this morning. So it's great to be with you. So as uh, we journey through this uh, season of Lent, as I understand you guys are doing and looking at the parables, uh, we come to quite an exciting one uh, today, and we make an important pit stop. This is quite a curious parable about a very important topic, and that's money. 
And I think we shouldn't be surprised that Jesus talks a lot about money and wealth. Uh, from what I've seen in some research, I haven't counted this personally, um, but the topic of money and possessions and wealth comes up a lot in Scripture. By one count, it, it's over 2,000 times. And to give you kind of a basis for comparison, uh, the topic of faith actually only appears about 500 times. I'm not trying to say here that I don't think the Bible is saying that, that money and wealth is more important than faith or whatever, but there's a, I think there's a point to be made when you see this topic come up over and over and over again in God's word. And I think the point here is that if we don't take that exhortation and that reminder to think about our money and our wealth seriously, we're actually missing a big part of God's word to us and what he's trying to tell us. Now, I think it's true that some people have very little interest in money. I think it's rare, but some people do. You might have met some monks or people who live really ascetic lifestyles and they've just really shunned worldly wealth and material possessions. So they probably don't really care about money. Others, I think they love money so much that they just want it. You know, the bigger number, the better. The heavier the gold brick, the better. They just want more and more. They just love money in and of itself. And they're kind of like the modern day hip hop prophet 50 Cent who says, get rich or die trying, right? It's all about getting more money and getting more stuff. And I do believe that the vast majority of people do care about money, but it's not necessarily just because they want a higher number. They see the utility that money has. Money can get you um, food and shelter, basic necessities. We use our wealth to get luxury items and experiences and vacation, or maybe it's power and influence that money can get you. So as we dive into Jesus' parable of the dishonest manager that we read this morning, let's really consider what God is, is saying about all the wealth that each and every one of us has in your bank account. You know, you might be a millionaire investment banker in the congregation today. You might be a student who just gets allowance or, or whatnot. The fact is you do have some kind of wealth, some kind of resources in your possession today. So... This message, I believe, is for, for everyone. Now, this parable might be confusing, and commentators have tried interpreting it you know, any which way over the, the history of the church, but I just want to just, let's just summarize it and read it kind of through in the most straightforward way. So, a rich man, he has a manager over all of his wealth. Some people might call him a steward. If you think of steward, stewardship, none of the, the, the resources belong to him. He's stewarding it on behalf of his master, everything in his household. And there's charges of mismanagement that come to the, the master and are brought against the manager. And so when the master confronts the manager, it seems pretty clear that he's guilty. He gives no kind of protest, he no offer of defense, but rather he kind of goes straight into self-preservation mode. What am I going to do? I'm, I'm too proud to beg. How am I going to survive after this? And the manager comes up with a kind of ingenious final scheme while he still uh, in, has authority over his master's wealth. And he brings all of his master's debtors, people that owe his master money, and he reduces them one by one. So that when the debtors, uh, when, so the debtors kind of owe him a favor. And so when the manager is fired, all these debtors will owe him favors and will welcome him 
That's pretty smart, right? And despite being cheated, this parable ends, as you've read, in a pretty surprising way. The master actually gives a commendation, a surprising proclamation. He says, the dishonest manager, you're commended for your shrewdness. You, dishonest manager, are commended for your shrewdness. And the statement in verse 8 should leave us no doubt about the nature of the manager. I don't think that he kind of had this sudden change of heart and he became righteous. And he's like, oh yeah, I'm going to do something great for my manager. I think his final act was pretty self-serving. And verse 8 itself says, the dishonest manager. He's clearly described as dishonest at the end of the parable. And I actually think dishonest might be a little light of a word. You could also translate that as wicked, the wicked manager, the unrighteous manager, the unjust manager. So the manager is clearly dishonest. He's clearly in the wrong. But to be clear, the master is not commending the manager for his dishonesty. He's commending him for his shrewdness. And I don't think we use that word very often. I don't know about you, maybe your more uh, vocabulary is, is, is better than mine. But basically, shrewdness means, can also mean prudent, can be, mean wise, can mean insightful. The manager, he has displayed the guile, the foresight to use his control over his master's wealth to secure his own future. And I think that all seems a bit crazy. I don't know when you, if you read about it this past week and studied it, it sounded a bit, it's just a little strange because if I were the master, I definitely would not do something like that. I would, you know, say some choice words to him and just kick him out and, and, and it made me wonder, and it might have made you wonder, hey, why does Jesus use such an unsavory character, such a weird kind of bad character as an example for us in this parable? What are we to learn from that? Now, the first thing I think we can remember is that when we come to parables, they aren't always these elaborate allegories. It's not like you're saying, oh, this character equals this person in, in, in sort of modern day, or what he did equals to this kind of spiritual reality. They're not always like that. Often, parables are just really about pressing home a key point. And in this case, the big point is that of being wise and being shrewd. The master does not commend the manager's incompetence or his dishonesty or any of his motives, nor does he commend what the manager uses his shrewdness to achieve. None of, this, none of that is actually the point. And so if I think if I was the editor of the ESV Bible, you know how they have titles, I wouldn't just say the parable of the dishonest manager, but it's actually the parable of the dishonest and shrewd manager, or even just the parable of the shrewd manager, because that is what Jesus is hammering home. That's the main takeaway. And so what is it about shrewdness that is so important that Jesus is, is hammering home this and tells a parable just about it? We've already heard that it can mean prudent and wise or insightful. And those are good attributes, right? Who, who of you here wouldn't want to be wise and insightful or described as such? But also, this idea of shrewdness carries this sense of a practical intelligence, of street smarts. You know how to get ahead in life. And I think in Hong Kong culture, that really speaks a lot, right? We, we want someone in this competitive culture who can, who can be a, 
ahead above everybody else, who knows the ways to navigate the education system or how to get, a, get ahead in the job ladder. In this competitive culture, we commend those who can get ahead, and everyone's afraid of not having to pick up books after others, right? Mozapsu, for those of you guys who are Canto speakers, right? We're afraid of that. And so when it comes to use your money and possessions, this idea of shrewdness indicates this clear intentionality. You see kind of what the money can actually achieve. What is greater? What is a greater outcome or objective that my money can achieve? And so shrewdness, you can distinguish that from people who, who don't care about money at all or are obsessed with money. They really see actually the bigger picture behind the money. And as we said in this parable, we see that shrewdness is not the ultimate goal. Shrewdness is just Jesus' com commendation of a way that we use money. It's nothing to do with your motives or goals. This morning, you could be shrewd in saving for your retirement. You can be shrewd in um, preparing for your kid's education. You can be shrewd in ripping off people. You can be shrewd in just saving up for that next gadget or purse or whatever luxury item that you want to purchase. So this is not about your motives. It's about the means is what Jesus is talking about here. And Jesus wants to emphasize here again how important shrewdness is. So now that we've made that clear, the other thing about parables that we can remember is that they don't always need to show a positive character. You can learn from unsavory characters. You can learn from people who are even villains, apparently. And this lesson can come from contrasting things. Instead of saying, hey, being, be like this person exactly, you can learn from what is good about this person or worth learning from. And this is what Jesus does from verses 8 to 13, kind of the explanation or the unpacking of the parable. So after establishing just how important shrewdness is, he begins in verse 8b with, uh, with this point. And I guess this is the big sort of idea for our sermon today, and I wanna, I'm going to hammer it home a few times. Do not serve worldly wealth, but shrewdly use it for godly and eternal purposes. Don't serve worldly wealth, but shrewdly use it for godly, eternal purposes. That's our second point, and that's our big idea for today. So take a look at that verse 8b with me, that second half of verse 8. So Jesus kind of begins his unpacking of the parable. He says, For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Now, the, son, the term sons of this world literally means sons of this age, sons of this lifetime, sons of this world. So the people who live as this world and this age is all that there is to life. This, those are the sons of this world. However, they are often so shrewd with using their money and how they obtain worldly security, just like the shrewd manager. Now, if this life is all that you have, if these 60, 80 years, if God is gracious, maybe 100 years for some of you guys who have really good diets, if that's all that you have, then it makes sense to use all of your shrewdness to secure uh, a great retirement a great retirement home. But Jesus contrasts that with the sons of light, and those are the disciples of Jesus. 
they know that they're the people of God, the sons of light, the children of light. They know that there's more to life than meets the eye, than what you see here. There is this everlasting life beyond this lifetime. And yet they're often less shrewd, Jesus said, in using their money in a way that reflects that reality. Despite knowing these things, somehow they're less shrewd than the sons of this world. So in contrasting the sons of this world and the sons of light, Jesus is inviting us to learn from the shrewdness of the sons of this world. And this is why Jesus goes on to say in verse 9, he says, listen, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you, those friends may receive you into the eternal dwellings. In other words, our money is not meant to be served, but it is meant to serve eternal purposes. We're not meant to serve the money. We're supposed to use the money to serve eternal purposes. This is what Christians should use their financial shrewdness for, making friends who will be with us in eternity. Now, before we kind of wrestle through the idea of what it means to serve these eternal purposes and and make these friends who will be with us in eternity, I think we need to to stop and deal with worldly wealth first, because that's often an obstacle. I think that's a big reason why even Christians uh, fail to have shrewdness in thinking about the eternal purposes. So how do we stop ourselves from serving worldly wealth, as Jesus asks? Well, I think first we must recognize that the wealth is unrighteous. That's what Jesus says. Now, unrighteous wealth here does not mean you're supposed to go out and earn money in a sinful way. You're not supposed to, Jesus is not saying, hey, go and cheat people and rob people, and that's okay as long as you tithe in church or, or you know, are generous with other people. Unrighteous wealth here is called unrighteous because it has this ability to tempt us to serve it rather than to serve God. And I think that's exactly what Jesus is getting at in verse 13. He says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Unrighteous wealth has this innate ability to draw our worship away from God so that we, can't, we stop worshiping him. Also, wealth is unrighteous because it belongs to this unrighteous world. You can't take it beyond. It stays here. It can't be brought to eternity. It cannot satisfy the deepest longing of our souls. Notice what Jesus says in verse 9. When it fails, not if it fails, but when it fails, our worldly wealth is guaranteed to fail. I think we've all heard of this idea that you can never get enough money. I think we're both, we're familiar enough with that. Uh, But I remember this old article I read from uh, uh, the Esquire magazine, which is an American kind of lifestyle magazine from some years ago. And I thought it left an impression on me because what this magazine was doing is it it profiled four different uh, men in, it's a men's magazine, I guess. So it profiled four different men in the U.S., from someone who was living basically un, in the, at the poverty line, you know, to someone in the middle class, all the way to a millionaire. And they were just kind of profiling their lifestyles, uh, what they could afford, what they couldn't afford. And in some shape or form during the profile, they, they were all asked the question, hey, 
how much do you think you'll need to have the life that you want? And guess what they all said? They basically said, all four guys said, they basically need a little bit more than what they have now. And then they can have the life that they want. And that was such a fascinating um, story and insight for me as I was reading that about the allure of worldly wealth. And so church, I think this morning, one, one kind of key message for us, even as we think about unrighteous wealth, is don't buy into the lie that money can satisfy you. I think we all know that in our minds. We know that it, it, money can't buy you love. It can't buy you so-and-so and whatever, but it's so hard in this money-driven life in this world. And I think this is a prophetic reminder from Jesus that money truly is not enough. It is unrighteous. It cannot fill that hole in your heart. Now, the other thing that helps us to see these, this unrighteousness of worldly wealth is that we can contrast it with the eternal. And that's what Jesus does here. In verses 11 and 12, Jesus says, If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you haven't been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Now, speaking of true riches, the Greek word is interesting. It literally translates as the true, you know, the very embodiment of what is true. So in the translation, when it says true riches, it's just to help us to, to draw that comparison. So this is as true as you can imagine. If you want something true, something lasting, you got to be faithful with the unrighteous wealth. And the unrighteous wealth, it doesn't belong to us. It's given by the master for us to manage. But actually, the true riches, that is eternal. It's that which is our own. It actually will belong to us. And I think true riches are just all the things that we'll experience and obtain in eternity, in heaven, in the new creation, because of our faithfulness in how we use our wealth today. They're all the heavenly rewards that you may have thought about. And, and we're not exactly sure, even when you read the scripture, what exactly does all the riches and the wealth entail in eternity. But I think Jesus gives us an indication. What we do know here is that they might involve friends who will welcome us into eternal dwellings. People who we touched, who we've been generous with in this lifetime that we'll be able to celebrate for eternity and have spiritual family there. So the point here is do not serve worldly wealth, but shrewdly use it for godly eternal purposes. Let's get a little more practical here and think about maybe what that could look like. So remember the dishonest manager. What did he use his money, the master's money for? He used it to reduce the debts of those people who owed his master money, right? And so in one way, he was essentially, his actions benefited the debtors. And likewise, Jesus says, make friends with your wealth. And I think this simply means that Jesus wants us to use our money in a way that helps to share the gospel. The good news that because of Jesus, we can all be forgiven of our sin. We can have everlasting life with God. Because when people around you, when they come to know God's amazing love, when they grow in faith in the Bridge Church or in whatever faith community, whatever church in Hong Kong, when they take part in God's mission to grow and to keep sharing the gospel, then you can be pretty sure 
that you will meet them. They will welcome you into eternal dwellings. Now, I want to hear uh, you to hear me clearly here. I'm not saying we're just supposed to kind of run around and throw money at people, hoping that they kind of convert, or that we're not trying to bribe people with money so that they just, just say the sinner's prayer, and then I can kind of check, check this off of my task list. If we go to people with an agenda, like there's some kind of investment project that you want to get a return on, they can see right through that, right? And that's not, obviously, that's not what Jesus is saying here. Because when you generously care for others and when you become friends, you'll, you'll inevitably have opportunities to show them what you care about, to show them what Jesus means to you, to tell them what is the most important thing in your life. Making friends is simply about being generous with others because you've experience God's generosity. It's about giving, having the motive of giving people just a taste of how generous and loving God has been to you. You're recognizing that your wealth, just like the dishonest manager knew, your wealth belongs to the master. And he, the master, he's shaping your heart to care about the people and the things that he cares about. That's what a good steward does, right? He manages the money in the way that the master wants it managed. So who does God care about? Jesus obviously declares that he came to seek and save the lost, anyone who doesn't know him. And so if you think about it, when you really start to love others, how can you not generously uh, act towards them? How can you not be generous with your finances and your wealth towards them? Let's get even maybe a little one step lower and get a little, little more practical here. Maybe this question can help bring a little insight to your life right now. If you were to ask yourself this question this morning, if someone looked at your spending this week or this past month or this past year, if they could see exactly what you spent your money on, every dollar, every cent, what would they say is the most important thing or the most important things in your life? Has it been spent on helping those in need or showing this radical hospitality to the people in your life. Friends, I know this is convicting for me because kind of when I ask my qu that question to myself, I think that most people would say, hmm, seems like Jeremy has some pretty mixed priorities in the last month or year of his life. He's probably spent a lot on kind of comfort things to kind of get him through the pandemic or whatnot. And so I, I was convicted when I thought about this and I, and I pray that we would learn from the shrewd manager to really see beyond the immediate, to really see the future. I pray that we would have that wisdom and insight and shrewdness to see just how much I would gain and you would gain in eternity if we would just be shrewd and wise with using our unrighteous wealth to love people today. I think the sons of light, the children of light, the sons and daughters of light, those of, of us who call ourselves Christian, we're often less shrewd because we're either so enamored still with unrighteous wealth or we forget about that eternal reality that Jesus points us to. You know, a lot of people, I think, you know, this common idea is a lot of people will think, who's going to be at my funeral? Who's going to be there when honoring me? Or who's going to give my eulogy at my funeral? But I think this parable actually reminds us it's more important to think about who's going to be there with you on the day of resurrection. 
on the day that God calls you into eternity and everlasting life, who's going to be there with you because of what you've done in this lifetime? So as we wrap up here, I think it's also important to acknowledge this. If, you felt, if you're feeling convicted about you know, what your bank statements and your credit card statements might be saying about you over the last week or month or year, I think we need to acknowledge this. The very fact that Jesus told this parable is a reminder, is a, is I think is a comfort that he knows that it's hard. The very fact that we have this call to be shrewd is a reminder that it's hard. And maybe that's the reason why the Bible mentions money 2,000 plus times. Because it's easy to say, hey, Eric, don't spend your money on on kind of things that are, don't, mean, don't have any eternal significance, but shrewdly use it for godly eternal purposes. Don't serve worldly wealth. Use it to love others. It's easy to say that. But when, you, when the rubber meets the road, when you're faced with the grind and the temptation and the bills and, and whatever you want to spend and, and the stresses of life, it's hard, right? But remember who you are. I think this is the final kind of reminder today that I don't want to leave you. Remember who you are. The very idea, the very basis of this parable is that Jesus says that we are sons and daughters of light. He's drawing that contrast. The whole point of this Lent series, this season, is to point us to what? The cross. The journey that Jesus, our Savior, took to the cross. The cross, the place where God definitively showed us that he loves us, that he forgives us of everything we've ever done wrong, that he adopts us to be his sons and daughters, where he gives us everlasting life, and where all we need to do is accept that gift. So friends, when we use our unrighteous wealth, when we remember that we're sons and daughters of the light, we remember that it's not to earn his love. It's a response to the love that Jesus and God has already given us. We just get the privilege of being stewards and managers of that wealth. And then on the day of your death, when you step into that eternal life, wouldn't it be amazing to see some of those people who you know, who you remember, you've been generous with them, you've loved them, you've poured your life into them. Wouldn't it be amazing to see them welcome you in that place? Do not serve worldly wealth, but shrewdly use it for godly eternal purposes. Lastly, if you're not a Christian here today, I think Jesus might be saying to you, hey, hey, I know you're really shrewd in your wealth, actually. I know you know how to get ahead in life. I know you have this amazing plan for career advancements or to graduate with top honors. I know you're so shrewd, but what if it's really true that there's more to this life than meets the eye, than these 60, 80, 90 years. And if that's you today, I know obviously Eric and myself and any of the, the members of, of the bridge would love to speak to you and just share, hey, this is what Jesus has done in my life. This is how he's shown me that there's more. And maybe today is the day for you that you receive God's promise that he wants to welcome you into eternal dwellings as well. Do not serve worldly wealth, but shrewdly, wisely, prudently, with foresight, use it for godly and eternal purposes. Let me pray for us. 
Father, thank you for this timely reminder as we come out of the pandemic, as we kind of go back into quote-unquote normal life, there's an opportunity that lays at the doorstep of every one of us here. How are we going to normalize? How are we going to step forward into 2023 and beyond with a sense of your purpose, with this attribute of shrewdness imbued within us, Lord? So I pray today, this morning, Lord, that our shrewdness would not be used just to get something more comfortable or to get something a little bigger or better that ultimately won't, won't have any eternal consequence. But Lord, that our shrewdness would be used to see something invisible, to see something that maybe is a little less tangible, but give us faith, Lord, to see that when we stand before you in, in eternity, when you call us home, Lord, we want to bring a mob of our friends and family with us. We want to be celebrating in eternity, Lord, with all these people. So God, give us eyes to see that reality this morning. Lord, only you can do that. So Lord, would you help us, God? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.